So it's censuses? Censuses. Censuses. Sensei? Sensei. Yeah. <laughs> Sensei. <laughs> like octopi. Octopi, yeah. Censuses. 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 Sentences about censuses. <laughs> Excellent. Mm. <laughs> Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we uncover the history around us. As always, we're your hosts, Robin Mullins, Nick Bridges, and Keely McCabot. April 2016 when you received the Canadian census. Do you remember filling it out? If you have an interest in history, chances are you have a clear memory of the census in particular. That's because it marked the return of the long-form census. That's right, the return of even more mandatory paperwork. Many Canadians were happy, enthusiastic even, to participate. Now, it's not because winter was particularly cold that year or there was nothing good to watch on TV. No, the census, as we'll find out, plays an important role in government spending, policy making, and, you guessed it, historical research. Today, we're going to relive the hype of the 2016 census, as well as censuses in general, by taking notice of history present in this seemingly mundane, mandatory paperwork. But first, let's go over the basics of what the census is. So the census is a way for the country to keep track of people. People go around who are called enumerators, and they ask everyone questions, record the answers, and the results help the Canadian government to make decisions about distribution of resources, like growing or shrinking demographics, healthcare, and things like that. So at first, censuses were sporadic. They took place every 10 years, and now we have them every five years. There's two kinds of censuses in Canada, short and long. Uh, the short census deals with pretty straightforward data for each household. The number of people, their age, gender, racial origin, relationship to the person filling out the census, their marital status, and some language-based questions. This should be all pretty familiar to you if you're alive, because you've probably had to answer a census at some point in the recent history, or many of them, depending on how old you are. So I know that it gets me pretty excited, but uh, I get it's not everybody's bag. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the other questions that they ask that's pretty funny is, is anyone in the household a farm operator who produces agricultural products for sale, such as crops, livestock, Christmas trees, and maple syrup? So apparently Christmas trees are really important to the Canadian government. So the census ends with a question asking you to allow the answers to be made public in 92 years. So tw 2,108 for the 2016 census, which is, you know, a long way off. And just, you know... Next time you're filling out a census, say yes to that question. Historians would really appreciate it. Future historians, please just click yes. As they're wading through your tweets about what burrito you ate today, they'd be way more excited to actually read about your, your household data. It's true. Yeah, we'd like to know all kinds of amazing demographic issues. It's just so much easier for doing compiling historic research than having to wade through the huge amount of useless uh, social media data that's probably going to be generated. The, the 200 Facebook posts about your dog. What you ate for dinner every Tuesday. <laughs> All extraneous. So the long-form census goes into, you guessed it, your hopes and dreams. There's lots of detail on this one. Topics on the long-form census include questions on housing, like your type of house, how many bedrooms it has, um, immigration, income, education, 
everything right down to your daily commute. This is only given out to uh, minority Canadians, one in five households, which provide the government with a reasonable sample size. Did you guys get the long-form census last time? I wish. I desperately wanted it, and I was not one of the lucky ones. It's like not getting your Hogwarts letter when you're 11. That, or like not getting the golden ticket to go to yeah. Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> I didn't get it either. Do you think you think they would give the option that if you really wanted it? I, would, I wish they did, because I would sign up for that every single time. I would joyfully give my information. Do you think they'd get more than one of five people? Because I think they would. I think with the resurgence, which we'll get into later... I think that this last time around, they would have had a lot more people volunteering just because it was finally back and people were eager to have the information being recorded again. But I'm sure that interest will wane over time and it'll become more of a slog again. Maybe not for historians, but for other people, I could see it certainly losing its glamour. (laughs) Right. Well, uh, if you want to think about the long-form census even more, uh, the long-form census used to be mandatory and enforced with the threat of jail time. Just don't tell anybody what you're in for. (laughs) (laughs) Not doing paperwork. It was replaced in 2011 by a voluntary survey uh, against the advice of many statisticians, including StatsCan itself. And it came back in glorious 2016 to massive waves of applause. So for some historical background in Canada anyway, the first census in Canada was actually made in 1666. It counted 3,215 people in New France and recorded their age, sex, marital status, and their occupations. So there were various informal censuses before things really kicked off in 1871, which was the first official census of Canada, and they asked for a variety of things. In the 1700s, for instance, there were questions about numbers of swords found in each household. In the census of 1765, it included sussing out the numbers of Catholics versus Protestants, and it also recorded the number of Acadians, white settlers, indigenous peoples, and black people in the area. That's, that's all important information for the new British state who took over what would become Canada, an, a land full of Catholics, in a state where uh, other portions of the British Empire, Catholics didn't even have rights. So the first official census of Canada was in 1871 and had 211 questions. Now that's something you really have to sit down for. (laughs) Get cozy. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take a while. In 1881, census enumerators were required to take an oath of secrecy, and this is still required today. It's very exciting. I know, right? (laughs) What kind of, I mean, it's, yeah, it's cool that you have to take an oath of secrecy, but I I don't know that there's a lot, you'd have a lot of information at your fingertips, it's true. Yeah, especially with the long-form census, if they're looking over that kind of data. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's because that's a lot more personal, and you can, if it has things like your daily commute, like there's a reason why you have to wait 92 years before it's published, because there is a lot of really identifying information in there that would be dangerous, potentially dangerous in the hands mm-hmm. of the wrong people. So that's why it, it's held for 92 years, so that you're not in any kind of danger and there's just you know nothing malicious that can really happen from it and it's really just used for historical purposes at that point but this kind of identification and data really gets us into what the census was all about it was an explicitly colonial tool it was aimed at counting assessing and regulating the colony Um, we can see the colonial assumptions and beliefs reflected in the type of questions and answers that were given in each census in uh, different years yeah for instance in 1881 for the first time Housing questions in the newly expanding Northwest Territories, which includes what is now Saskatchewan and Alberta, included wigwams and tents, reflecting the expanding settlement and the encroachment into the West. 
So, you know, that wouldn't have been an option in Ontario necessarily because there weren't a lot of people who were living in tents in Ontario in the 1880s. Starting in 1906, Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan began having their own censuses every five years instead of every 10 like the rest of the country in order to monitor the growth of the West because immigration into the West from both Eastern provinces and from around the world was such a priority for the government at the time. Eventually, the rest of the country caught up, and starting in 1956, we had censuses every five years. You especially see that monitoring of expansion for the West in the 1906 census when they're counting the amount of cattle people have, the amount of acres under their tillage, sort of all of their economic activity, Hmm. that sort of homesteading. The census was extremely inconsistent about recording ethnicity. The 1871 and 1881 census had an origin column which was to record ethnicity as given by the person. In 1891, you just had a French-Canadian column which you could check or not. In 1901, the origin column was used to record paternal ethnicity if you were white, specific tribe if you were First Nation, and then various, quote, breeds. All this means that the same person could be identified in many different ways from census to census. And also, people would be traveling a lot. If you were traveling throughout the year to visit different family members, you might actually be recorded multiple times in any given census as you moved around the country or around the province, as you were visiting family for a few weeks in the summer, and then you went back to your other home. If the enumerators were moving around at the same time as you, then it's likely that you would be caught on multiple censuses and that you'd be recorded possibly in different ways. Or depending on the enumerator themselves. Absolutely. Mm. So there are lots of instances where even in the same census, someone is enumerated in a variety of ways in a variety of locations, but it's actually the same person or the same family. You even have instances where the enumerators themselves have basically given up on doing their job. There's one portion of the 1881 census where for the whole family, they've just put the husband's name, And then if he has a wife, woman. If he has a son, boy. If he has a daughter, girl. (laughs) All the way down. It's like, it's really indicative of uh, the patriarchal society that existed at that time. Yeah, sign me up for the suffragette movement back then. (laughs) Let's go back in time. (laughs) Get the paperwork. I'll I'll go back in time and I'll really, I'll let that enumerator know what I think of that. (laughs) In short order. (laughs) The census follows the territorial evolution of Canada. This means that remote areas didn't get included in the census until much later, For example, in Quebec, you can get census records from before Canada was even a country, as far back as 1666, which we'd already talked about. And it's even on Library and Archives Canada's website in high resolution if you're interested in that one. But in Alberta, you won't find a census until 1881. And even then, you have to look under the Northwest Territories to find it. So it's very inconsistent in the ways that things were recorded. And even when a census was taken, that doesn't mean that the entire population was even counted. For example, the Inuit didn't show up on the census until 1941. Indigenous peoples more generally have been historically complicated uh, to enumerate due to language barriers, mobility, and reluctance to participate. So it's really not that surprising that Indigenous peoples were reluctant to participate given their track record with with the Canadian government. And it should be really no surprise that the Canadian government hasn't always done a great job of handling the census in general. So as we'd already kind of alluded to in 2011, the census was actually, instead of being a long form census that was mandatory, it was a voluntary survey instead. This was done by the conservative government. The conservatives claimed that the long form census was a violation of privacy and argued that it should not be mandatory at all. However, there were others 
some conservative commentators included, who viewed the removal of the long-form census as removing the foundation for public programs to make evidence-based arguments for their continued existence. So it wasn't widely accepted or even widely agreed within the conservative party that this was the right thing to do by abolishing it. But nevertheless, it was a decision that was made. This decision was made with almost no announcement or notice. When the news broke, it caused huge controversy, and it even caused the head of Statistics Canada to resign. And this is keeping in mind that the purpose of a long-form census was to collect data about Canadians that could then be used to influence government decisions. It was also theoretically mandatory, so people who did not fill out the census could theoretically face jail time, as we mentioned earlier. But it's interesting though, right? Because in order for a government to work well, they need information. So how can a government serve the people if they don't have any information? And future historians are going to be just livid about this. I know. Thankfully, it only ended up we only ended up missing one one census's worth of long form censuses. So it's it's not as bad as it could have been. There won't be a huge you know uh, dearth of knowledge. There'll just kind of be a little bit of a blip for a five year period. So it'll just kind of jump ten years. And there actually was this voluntary survey. So the voluntary survey that they sent out. It was sent to one in three households rather than the typical one in five, which was what they sent out for the mandatory survey. And they hoped that by sending it out to more people, they would have a higher likelihood of people voluntarily filling it out and that they'd hopefully still get, you know, about the same amount of information back. But since it was voluntary, there was really no incentive for people to fill it out or fill it out in great detail. So the people who did fill it out sometimes didn't fill out the whole thing. And so there isn't a lot of consistency around the answers that they got. And it's just it didn't work out as well as I think that they'd hoped. I think they hoped that enough people would have good intentions and be willing to sit down and fill out mandatory paperwork that's no longer mandatory. And that didn't happen. So it's unfortunate, but luckily it's just a blip in their record. So, the census returned in 2016. Yay! Glory! Glory census! (laughs) Specifically, late April, early May 2016, StatsCan reported that 2016 was the highest response rate ever for the census at 98.4%. The remaining 1.6% could not be tracked down or didn't provide enough information to be tracked down. As a comparison with previous censuses, in 2006, the response rate was 93% for the long-form census, and it dropped down to only 68% for the long-form, the voluntary long-form in 2011. So this really diminished the value of the data received since it was dealing with such a smaller sample size. In the 2016 census, Stats Canada identified 347 people who were unwilling to fill out the form. And it's interesting because this is also much higher um, of a number than in the past. It was about 60 people in 2006 and only 54 in 2011. So some of the people who refused to fill out the census saw it as a breach of privacy, which I mean is fair. As much as I agree and I believe that the census is an incredibly important tool, when we were talking earlier about um, how it's a very big, it plays a really large role in nation building and the kind of information that's being collected, maybe you would feel at odds with your government, knowing that they have those, all that information on you if you're not very trusting or you don't have a good relationship with them. So I get it. Absolutely. And a contributing factor to that kind of feeling of unease, I think, is the fact that in the past, up until 2011, Lockheed Martin, a weapons contractor firm, helped Statistics Canada process the data. Lockheed Martin is no longer involved in the census data processing. With the 2016 census, everything was done in-house. But up until very recently, 
There was a weapons contracting firm that helped process the data, the very, very important data that has tons of personal information of Canadians in it. That's a little unsettling. Mm -hmm. Now we just give all our personal data to Google for free. Yes, Yes, we do. Profiting. (laughs) Well, you know, you got to pick your poison, Nick. (laughs) Google has fun colors and a fun doodle almost every day now. Almost every day, Nick. So, so worth it. Sometimes it's a game. So worth it. <laughs> so as we discussed earlier, people were pumped and they took to social media in droves with the hashtag Census2016. It's clean, simple, easy to remember, easy to throw on as a hashtag. Very on brand. Mm. Yeah, worked out well. Yeah, people posted a lot of photos of their census in the mail. They were they were excited. And census selfies were an actual thing. I mean, it was a very brief flash in the pan moment, but it was it was a thing. A beautiful nerdy moment. Yes, wonderful. I didn't take one, but you better believe that for the next census, poof, oh baby, <laughs> there will be a census selfie. And a lot of people were also legitimately devastated about only getting the short form census. Robin, oh. tell us how it felt. Guys, it was so depressing. Do you feel robbed of your census experience? Well, I just felt shortchanged a little bit. Like, not robbed, per se, but I felt... I was disappointed. Because I was... I just... I felt like I deserved it. Because I'm a historian, and I really wanted to contribute to the historical record. Think of your future descendants who won't be able to read that long-form census. Well, I mean, they will, but it just won't be about me. No, no, about you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. Come on, start the show Guys, but I have a lot of censuses left in my future. You could get some long forms in there. Yeah, there's statistically, it could happen, guys. One in five. One in five. That's a 20% chance. But here's hoping 2021 could be the year where I get the long form census. Fingers crossed. Mm, Yes. So there wasn't just hashtag census2016. There there was an online movement. There was census and chill. There was hashtag it makes census. There was even a woman who sent out three super excited tweets in one day about filling out the census and only one moderately excited tweet the same day about getting engaged because she knew where her priorities were at. So it goes without saying that people were super enthusiastic about filling it out. And the Statistics Canada site crashed for about three hours on May 2nd, the first real day of people filling it out online. Initial reports were only for 45 minutes, but that was incorrect. People were getting really like excited. And then when it crashed, they were like, it only took us 45 minutes. Not the case. There was a lot of social media attention about this naturally um, because Canadians love database decision making so much that they broke Statistics Canada's website in their clamor to tell them all about their demographic details. So that was very much so the attitude of a lot of the posts. Um, One excellent tweet predicted there would be a heritage minute one day about how Canadians crashed the census. Hashtag census 2016. So sorry to burst your census bubble, Keely, but as it turned out, the site actually crashed due to design errors and not raw enthusiasm, as I think we all hope. (laughs) Oh, that's what I choose to believe, though. I know. You can can believe it in your heart. It's okay. (laughs) So traffic to the site was actually only about 50% of what they expected for the capacity on the first day, and it was really just a design error, not, not our sheer enthusiasm, unfortunately. Still, the hype ended up being more enduring than the crushing reality that Robbins brought to light here. And what most of us remember about the 2016 census was how much people loved it. Guys, I mean, I wish that it was true. I, I, I want to believe it too. It's just that I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. I didn't drink the census Kool-Aid, and I know the reality. We didn't crash the, the website. I'm sorry. 
So the census is very important, as we've stated before, because it allows us to have a better understanding of our population. We can make more informed decisions to benefit Canadians and to choose where government dollars should be spent. The census allows people to monitor success of various initiatives over time and see how the population changes. So for historians, census records are extremely helpful to help trace families back over generations. We need them. Sign the form. Give us your information. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, the, the records provide a lot of interesting contextual information, such as occupation and language. And we can use census records to show how families move over time and also to show the emergence of communities where the same groups of people live together over successive generations. Genealogy would just be so much more difficult without the census. It really would. Yeah. If genealogical records like church registers or birth certificates don't exist, which sometimes they don't, uh, then census records is our number way, number one way of being able to trace people's genealogies. And, you know, record keeping isn't a perfect science. Um, there are fires. There are people who've misplaced records or sometimes records just get destroyed. So it's really nice to be able to have the census as a backup um, and often because there are so many questions and so many versions of the census floating around out there, uh, they can actually give us more information than some of those other documents. What's your favorite census, Nick? My favorite census? Come on, obviously, the 1901. But I mean, maybe I should hold my judgment till that 1931 census comes out. That's true. I mean, we, we don't have the data in yet, so we can't really make a final decision. Uh, I like the 1870. I was going to say that one too. I like it because it has like, yeah... I don't know. It lists your father. Mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful. It's helpful in like tracing between families because you don't just have the family kind of floating on their own. You can figure out who the head of the household's father was and connect them to the other, another family within the census. It's just easier to make those connections. So I appreciate that a lot. And it's one of the few ones where tracing female ancestors is actually, you know, it's going to be fine without church records because you have a maiden name typically where you otherwise wouldn't. And, and if you, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the maiden name, then you have who her father was, which I mean, it still sucks the like, it's the father always, but at least you can then find the father. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's easier to be able to make those changes because women, unfortunately, were always taking their husband's names, which isn't the unfortunate part, but it's unfortunate because we weren't always keeping records in the census of what their maiden name was, and it can be really hard to trace through mothers. So some fun facts about censuses. Because we know you're dying to hear them. <laughs> Chomping at the bit. Um, in the U.S., there's currently controversy over their upcoming 2020 census. So the American government has proposed a new question asking about citizenship. Um, there are large concerns about what might be done with that information and if it could endanger immigrant populations. The director of the previous U.S. Census speculates that if this new question is added, they can expect the quality, reliability, and response rate for the census to plummet, which is very unfortunate. But that could, that's another example of people not feeling comfortable with the intentions of their government asking them these questions. It's also interesting historically because the... U.S. censuses, at least from 1900, 1910, 1920, all ask about immigration and citizenship. I mean, given their current political climate, it, it's probably nothing good that'll like come from that question. I know. So it's a really loaded question. So some censuses are taken by going door to door and interviewing people, which, uh, Nick, do you know if this still happens today? 
As a semi-expert, soft expert, if you will, on census enumeration, as they almost gave me a job, they offered it, I didn't take it. Uh, in some situations, uh, the census enumerators will have to go to a person's house or an address, and they'll have to ask the people in the household to clarify different points of data, or um, if there's any sort of mistakes or errors, things that need clarification, they'll have to go sort that out themselves. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So in 2010, China had 6 million enumerators go to each household to take the census. So that seems like it would be a lot more enumerators than we would have here in Canada. That, that could have been me. Yeah, because here in Canada, I mean, apart from the occasional door-to-door -door enumeration, we generally opt for mail-in or online surveys. However, others like Finland don't really disrupt their citizens at all and instead gather census information based on already collected government records. So there, you don't even really have to answer one. You would never know. It's all happening in the background. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, according to the UN, only five countries in the entire world do not take a census. Pretty impressive. Yeah. But also, it also speaks to the use of a census as a government tool. Mm -hmm. So we think it's important to let you, the listeners, know that census records up to 1921 are currently available for free at Library and Archives Canada. The next one, which Nick has already mentioned as 1931, comes out in 2020. So if you have some family history that you're interested in, or if you're just you know intrigued by some of the different uh, answers that we've talked about or some of the information that is available on these, why not head over to Library and Archives Canada and start, start sifting through them? You might discover some really interesting history. Or go to Library and Archives Canada's website and do it from the comfort of your couch. So they're available for free at Library and Archives Canada, either in person or on their website. You know, there might be some information that you would like to see for yourself, some of the interesting answers we've talked about or questions or family history that maybe you want to pursue. So feel free to go to their website and see if there's anything that, you know, strikes your interest. We think that there will be because census records are pretty fascinating and even just seeing the enumerators and what they write can be a lot of fun because you kind of see their flair and, and their personalities come out a little bit or definitely their bias. Um, some of them have very interesting spellings of words, so that can be fun. It's just, you know, it's, it's humans trying to take note of other humans and keeping a record and it's just, it can be fraught with errors, so it can be a lot of fun to find them. It's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. Or like a box of chocolates, as Forrest Gump might tell you, because you never know what you're going to get. So that's just a little bit of the history of the census, and now you're in the know. Notice History is a no-history podcast. We are produced by Emily Cuggy and myself, Robin Mullins. This week's researchers were Alice Glaze and Stacey Devlin, with audio mixing by Emily Cuggy and myself. For more information about the topics we covered today, check out our blog at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at nohistory.ca or you can reach out on social media at Notice History. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.